All right, so we continue on in our book series entitled The DNA of a Christ Follower. And this is a series that highlights the different traits of those of us who call ourselves not only Christians, but Christ followers or disciples, if you will. And throughout this series, we're picking out a, a different chapter in the book. And let's see if we have the list here. Uh, here is the list of the different traits uh, that come from the DNA of a Christ follower, according to the author of the book, Darren Ride, uh, of the book, DNA of a Christ Follower. And so you can see that we've looked at lover of God and lover of people. And uh, if you can't tell by the, the songs and the liturgy today, we're going to be looking at holiness and what that means and what that looks like. Uh, to have the DNA of Christ is to have the character of Christ indwelling within us. It is, have, it is having Jesus inside of us. Uh, God, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, uploads His DNA into us so that as we accept His grace and worship Him and give our lives over to Him and give our lives over not just to our will but to God's will, that we find that such DNA becomes activated in our souls. Note that this is something that happens from the inside out. It doesn't happen based simply upon our effort alone. Uh, but upon the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit as we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And because of this great act of God's grace, we over time, or in some cases even more instantaneously, look markedly different than we did before. As we allow the DNA uh, of Christ to get inside of us, it actually changes our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions who we really are in the world and in our lives. And so we take on our true DNA that God meant for us to have all along. So when God rescued his children Israel out of the bondage of slavery and oppression, he brought them out into uh, this wilderness in the middle of nowhere. And scripture says that God brought them to himself. He brought them to himself at a place called Mount Sinai, where nothing else is anywhere near. And when he did that, it was there that God introduced himself to his children in a very new way. And the primary characteristic of God that he introduced himself to them was that I am a holy God. That's really God's first self-attribute that he gives and tells about himself to this people that he has rescued. Holy. What does that mean to be holy? To be holy is to be set apart. It's to be different. To be other. God himself is different. God himself is other. God is not dependent upon us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't have to have us. He is holy. He can fully exist apart from any of the rest of us. He is not like us. This means that God basically has what you might call good boundaries. God can be in the midst of us and still be fully himself. We don't rub off on him in a way that changes his character or changes who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is holy. And so when God brings his children out to this mountain 
to worship him and to meet him, he says this to him. Not only does he say, I am holy, but he says this. He says in Exodus 19, beginning at verse 4, You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and I brought you to me. So now if you faithfully obey me and you stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession of all the peoples, since the whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. A holy nation. God not only says that He is holy, but now the people of Israel are to be holy as well. They in some way are to be different. They in some way are to be distinct, to be set apart. This has actually been God's vision at least revealed since the time of Abraham, several hundred years before this exodus, when God made the promise to Abraham, he says, I will bless you, I will make your offspring numerous, and you will be a blessing to the world. However, we have hindsight here, and knowing the story of Israel, even though God rescued them out of slavery and built them up into being the people for himself, his treasure possession, We know that Israel was not faithful to their calling to be holy. They worshiped idols. They put too much trust in the power of the nations around them rather than in trust of God. They did not take care of their own by loving their own neighbors. In their practice, they were not much different than the nations around them were. They were kind of just like every body else they were not holy and so God sends after multiple centuries he sends his son Jesus whom even the demons recognized is the holy one of God and Jesus being holy and without sin does not allow himself to be tainted by the things of the world sin never gets inside of Jesus he fully resists all the temptations of sin in his life, and therefore maintains his holiness. His death on a cross is the perfect sacrifice, and because of that sacrifice, humanity can be reconciled to a holy God once again. Then after his resurrection, Jesus ascends into the heaven, and he pours out the what spirit? The Holy Spirit. On the first believers. Why is it called the Holy Spirit? Why isn't it called the Good Spirit? Or the Great Spirit? Or the Loving Spirit? Or the Gentle Spirit? Or the Strong Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit called the Holy Spirit? It's a good question, right? Go home and think about that. Let me know what you find. It is this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that indwells the heart of the believer. And so our calling to be holy is empowered by the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit. So let us explore today, how is it that God is calling us to be holy? How is it that this holy God designates us and calls us and leads us into being a holy people? Did you know that you're called to be holy? Did you know that as a part of who you are as a human being? It's a part of your own DNA. Let's look into that. 
First of all, God designates us as holy. He designates us as holy, meaning he puts the stamp of holiness on us. Holiness is first a status that is granted by the mere grace of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God geographically takes these Israelites who are in bondage to slavery for 400 years. He takes them and he geographically separates them through the ten plagues and through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. There is an actual, literal, physical, geographical separation, a setting apart. But then God designates them as holy in terms of their status as well. You are to be a holy nation. You are blessed. None of this is of their own doing. They're like a bunch of lost, wandering sheep. They're, they're as willing to rebel against God as anyone else is in the world. And yet God says, I'm choosing you and I'm calling you to be holy. God's designation. In the New Testament, Paul writes to the Corinthians. And very early on, the first couple of verses, uh, Paul designates them and writes to them and addresses them. Now, the Corinthian people don't have a record for being the most moral people. They don't have uh, A-plus on their ethic, ethical record report card as Paul goes around and checks in on the churches. And yet, here's what Paul says to them. He says in 1 Corinthians 1-2, to God's church in Corinth, Corinth, to those who have been made holy to God in Christ Jesus, who are called to be God's people. Holy to God, says Paul. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been made holy by God's will through the offering of Jesus Christ's body once and for all. It's because of who God is and what God has done through Jesus that God confers holiness. So this is God choosing. This is God calling. This is God rescuing. When we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ... When we say, I accept your grace for me, then we're also accepting this designation of holiness. It is who you are. That's the, the beginning of it all. God has called you to be holy, but the journey continues on. Because the problem is with being holy is that there is tremendous pressure to not to, to, to become like the world around us wants to become. Just as Israel was not all that holy in their real life and practice, we too can struggle with the same challenge. Darren Ride says this. He says, The more closely aligned a church is with its culture, the more quickly that church will decline. This has been proven again and again throughout church history. When the church fails to be distinct or different or holy, when the church simply becomes and takes on all the values and the practices of the culture around it, whether it's in order to be relevant or whether it's in, in order to just not able to hold that tension, then the church quickly declines and eventually dies. We as a church are called to be holy to be different, to be distinct, both in our individual lives and as a body. So how does this designation that God gives us become of being holy, how does that become an actual reality in 
our lives. Well, let's continue on. So first, we talked about God designating us as holy. Second of all, God calls us to be holy in our conduct. To be holy in our conduct. After designating the children of Israel as holy, God goes right into those Ten Commandments and right into the law for the rest of the book of Exodus. He says, I've chosen you. I'm blessing you. You're holy. Here is how you stay faithful to this covenant. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Even a day is designated as holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor. These are the Ten Commandments, and he unpacks those throughout the rest of the book of Exodus. These actions are what will set you apart from the other nations. Do the other nations have uh, one God? Oh, no. Other nations have multiple gods. Commandment number one, no other God before me. Even the food that they eat sets them apart and reminds them that they are not like everybody else. As followers of Jesus, we too are called to live differently than the world. We are not entitled just to simply do whatever we want to do. And we are not to assume and take on all of the values and practices of the world, but we are to be a discerning people. 1 Peter 1.14 that was read a little bit earlier, I want to read some of that again. It says, don't be conformed to your former desires, those that shaped you when you were ignorant, but as obedient children, you must be holy in every aspect of your lives. Just as one who has called you is holy, it is written, you will be holy because I am holy. Since you call upon a father who judges all people according to their actions, without favoritism, you should conduct yourself with reverence during the time of your dwelling in a strange land. This is a call to holy action, holy conduct. This quote of Peter, you will be holy because I am holy. That comes from that same old Leviticus passage that we read last week. Last week, we talked about loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes that, and it comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Also in Leviticus chapter 19 is this command. You will be holy, says God, because I am holy. Isn't that amazing? They both come from the same place. Leviticus 19, I think we should keep that in the book. Amen? Amen. We are to be holy in our conduct, in our speech, in our actions, in our ability to resist temptation to refrain from saying or doing things that is inconsistent with who God made us to be. Holy in our conduct. That is the calling of God upon your life and upon us as a church. Third, God calls us to be holy in our character. To be holy in our character. It is not enough just to be holy in your actions. If you've ever tried to just follow all the rules in life, eventually that's gonna, you're going to just run out of steam. It, we're not just simply called to be a bunch of rule followers. That's not the heart of what we do. Um, those of us who are parents, we teach our kids certain things, right? Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. Last, last uh, week, I talked about how my kids always ask that philosophical question, why? 
Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? And I try to explain it to them and all that. Well, eventually, we got to live into that why. And the why is this is who you really are. When you do these kind of actions, you begin, or at least you give your chance to become who God made you, you to be. When you have no other gods before you, then your practices will lead you to become the person who worships God, not just externally, but internally. Not just with our actions, but with our heart. It's not enough to show up to church. It's not enough to sing the songs. It's not enough just to pay attention to the words that the preacher is preaching. It must eventually get to a place where this comes from our heart, our character. Darren Ride in the book tells the story of the Berkeley pit in Butte, Montana. The pit was a mine uh, that they began mining in 1865, and it had thousands of miles of tunnels. And they would pump water out of the pits uh, when it rained. Well, eventually they turned the pumps off and abandoned the mines. And when it rained, the water began to fill up all those miles of tunnels. And it filled up the reservoir and the pit. This became a toxic lake as uh, the minerals and, the, and the, the substances of the earth mixed in with the water. Birds that drank from the, uh, the pit died. An environmental hazard. Then one day, life was discovered in the pit. Researchers have found 160 forms of life. These organisms have the ability to use the water to, to take the good out of the water to, to, to feed themselves, but to keep the toxin out. And they have learned to live in this toxic place. They're called extremophiles. Ride uses this to contend that followers of Christ must be like extremophiles. We must live in a world, we do live in a world that is good and beautiful. But this world in so many ways has been tainted by sin. In so many ways, our world has become like a cesspool of toxins and sin. Gluttony, lust, pride, greed, anger, sloth, and vanity. Those seven deadly sins. We look around and we see them everywhere. They cause great harm and they keep the world from having the life that God intends us to have. To be holy is to be set apart from the toxicity of the world. While continuing at some level to live in the world. To have the ability to resist the sin and yet to still be a citizen of the planet and of society. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. In other words, something in us must be able to resist. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. To be able to discern what is actually good and godly and what is a false promise. Because the devil's been making false promises from day one. He has been telling us that that fruit of the tree is good. 
He's been telling us the things that feel good or taste good or look good, things that we even desire and want from the deeper parts of our being are often simply the enemy in disguise, trying to get us to substitute something for the life of Christ in us. Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil for 40 days. That's where we get this season of Lent. It's patterned after that 40 days of temptation. And Jesus knows and recognizes the things that are a temptation and the things that are not. We've got a lot of praying to do to know that in each of our lives as well. There's some kind of balance here in our lives. Maybe you need to move away from toxicity in your world. Maybe you need to get out of a relationship or maybe you need to get away from a group of people because the way that the influence they have on you doesn't make you more like Christ, but makes you less who God wants you to be. If that is the situation you're in, maybe you need to separate yourself and create some distance in your life. But there are other times and places and other people whom God is actually calling us into the world. Maybe we've separated ourselves from the world so much that we've created our safe little Christian enclave. And maybe God's calling us to go out into a messy world that doesn't always share your values, to be the hands and the feet of Christ in that world. What if all the Christians in the world just pulled away and never engaged with the rest of the world? We'd have our own little holy huddle in the corner of the world and we'd never intermingle with anybody else. I don't see that as God's calling for his people. Now, the challenge in all this is depending on who you are and where you're at in your life, you have to, dis to discern this for yourself. I can't give any blanket statements here uh, from the stand here. I have to simply say, pray about this. Is God calling you uh, to, to separate yourself and to pull away so that you can be holy? Or is God calling you in maybe other places or times in your life to engage in the world while not giving up who you are, but bearing witness to who God is in your life? Galatians 5, 6, he says, I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you will not carry out your selfish desires. Again, 1 Peter 1, 14, don't be conformed to your former desires. In other words, having a holy character means that we don't act on our desires. Not all of them. We live in a world that says just do whatever feels good. And our world is making a false promise in that, telling you that that is who your authentic self is. Folks, doing whatever feels good does not always lead us to our authentic self. Okay? We have to be discerning people. The world, the New Testament, Jesus himself assumes we're going to desire certain things and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to resist those temptations in our lives, okay? So, a little review. Number one, God designates us as holy. Number two, God calls us to be holy in our conduct. Number three, God calls us to be holy in our character. And finally, God calls us to be holy in our mission and our purpose. God doesn't go to these Israelites and set them apart and say, you're my special little angels, 
And I love you more than everybody else in the world. And I set you apart because I think you're better than everybody else. Not at all. God pulls a group of people. He builds them up. He says, I will bless you, but it's always for a reason. It's always for the world. In the same way, Christ has called us. He has set apart. He has made us holy, but not just so we can feel good about ourselves. He has made us holy so that we can be a witness to the world. That by the way that we are distinct and the way that we live our lives corporately and individually, there's a noticeable difference. And in the moments of that notice of difference, we have the chance to say, this is who God is. This is what God has done in my life. God raised up Israel for a purpose. The same mission holds for us as a church. Once you become a follower of Christ, you are given a mission. And that mission isn't just about you. It's about other people. It's about the world that you and I interact with. We live not just for ourselves, but for someone else. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Jesus died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for him. There is a set apartness to our calling. If all your life is is about being happy, if all your life is is about making enough money to pay the bills, if all your life is is about looking good enough or about being satisfied or being comfortable, then you are missing the calling of God on your life. Because God doesn't just call you to be comfortable or happy. God calls you to His mission, to His kingdom. Again, I invite you to pray about what that looks like in your life. It looks different for different people, but there's a commonality in here and that we are set apart for a mission. So, as we wrap this up, I invite you to consider these following questions. Pray to God and ask Him, Lord, how are you calling me to be different from the culture around me? How are you calling me to have a different attitude? How are you calling me to use different words? How are you calling me to to have different habits in my life? What is pleasing to you, O God? How can I live a life that is pleasing to you and not just pleasing to myself or pleasing to the world around me? In what ways do you need to remove yourself from groups or people or things or practices? In what ways is God calling you to engage and to move toward a world that may or may not know Christ? And then finally, how is it that you can live out God's mission for your life? How is it that you live a life where you wake up in the morning and you realize today is a day that has been given to me as a gift and I don't just live for myself, I live for my Savior. Let's pray on these things. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to our hearts. We worship you, God, because you are good, because you are holy. We join in with the saints across space and time saying, holy, holy, holy. 
Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We are so glad that we get to do that today. That we get to join you. We get to join others around the world and through time in doing that. Would you reveal to us, O God, your calling on our lives? Would you speak to us and remind us that we are your holy people? Not because we're better than anybody. But let us just accept that and receive that. Would you give us the grace, Lord, to be holy in our conduct? Would you give us the grace to be holy in our character? Would you give us the grace to be holy in the mission you've given to us? Help us to discern these things, O Lord, in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us up. That as we go out into this world that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We welcome you, God. We worship you. In your name we pray.